0: This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech. Personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength.
1: Welcome back to Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and joining me on the show today is model author and military attack pilot Andrew Malcolm. He's here today to tell us about his journey in the military and how he's helping to redefine strength. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you on.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm
1: glad to be here. For those of us who don't know your story, could you tell us a little bit about your childhood and background?
0: Yeah, sure. All right. So um, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, actually. Oh, wow. And I moved to the U.S. at age nine. So I moved with my mom and my younger brother, specifically in New York. So I spent the bulk of my childhood roughly from age nine to about age uh, 15 in New York, Queens, New York, to be exact. And then shortly after that, about age 15, I moved to New Jersey and I, I went through high school for the most part in New Jersey. I played sports, I played basketball, played football, and I initially started fitness as far as body building roughly around that time frame. So, for the most part, that's it. Mom, dads, and uh, younger brother.
1: What part of New Jersey? I'm from New Jersey.
0: Awesome. So, Neptune, New Jersey. So yes. Right next to that part. Yeah.
1: Yes, I'm very familiar with that area. That's really? great. That is that's awesome. Great. So, so, you've been traveling <laughs> all, all your upbringing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, Andrew, how did you learn about strength, or what strength is, and how would you define strength today?
0: Okay, yeah, so strength is an interesting term, right? So when mm-hmm. a person first hears or thinks about the word strength, the first thing that comes to mind is what the book definition is, right? And that's mm-hmm. more so a state of being strong. But I believe strength is a little bit more complex than that because we we hmm. tend to forget the emotional and the mental aspect of strength. And we just kind of concentrate on just the physical portion of it. So I believe that is a misunderstood or yeah, I think it's like a misunderstood definition of the word strength.
1: Sure. Sure. Now, was there any moment in your past that tested your strength either physically or emotionally?
0: Yeah. So and that kind of ties into, I guess, the first question that you um, ask. Oh, the first thing that could come back to mind right now will be 2019. So one aspect about being in the Army, especially with my job, is that I'm continuously overseas. You know, like, for example, this, this year I spent pretty much the entire year in Poland. Wow. 2019, I did the same thing in which I spent about nine and a half months in uh, combat. So, you know, I'm continuously away and I'm at year 19 in the uh, Army now. So I've done these quite a bit. Now, in 2019, I experienced something that kind of tested my strength. Okay, so I and my team of guys were were placed in a very stressful environment. So Afghanistan is its own beast. But specifically that tour, we were tested mentally quite a bit. Mm. And a lot of the newer pilots who weren't exposed to that of of, of stress, I saw a lot of those, those guys break. And it sucked to watch. I had my moments in which I kind of had to really consider if I wanted to stay in the uh, army because sometimes were challenging. Now, with that being said, myself, as well as the rest of the guys were tested. Okay, And the one thing that I always resort to was fitness. Right. So I've been bodybuilding for the last 15 plus years So that was always a thing that I will always default to because it kind of gave me that extra ten to fifteen percent of energy each day, right? Mm -hmm. So I was tested then, and once again, the group of guys that I was with, I saw them as well, and that was something I I try to push on them, like, "Hey, guys, we really don't have much to do here. There's a gym, there's a place to eat, there's a tent where we sleep, and that's it. So let's find a positive in, in this, and we will, you know, get home." that's playing. So, yeah.
1: That is great. Now, a lot of our listeners sometimes struggle with adversity. What advice would you give someone who's struggling to overcome an obstacle?
0: Okay. So there's pros and cons to everything, right? And one pro that we have in today's day and age is the usage of the internet. Okay. So, and where I'm going with this is, regardless of what someone is going through, there's a very good chance that you're not the first person to go through this. So true. So I always recommend research. Okay. A good case in point here is that I actually went through a um, pretty interesting scenario about two or three months back, and I had sustained some some injuries on on my 2019 tour. And over the last year year and a half, I started to get migraines, and I started having some twitching in my hand. So I went in and I got a uh, MRI done. So the radiologist actually, and I'm not going to say, you know, what the proposed diagnosis was, but it was something that would have stopped me from flying, period. Wow. So the radiologist said, hey, we believe it's probably this one or two things. However, I was scheduled to see a neurologist two weeks after that. So for a solid two weeks, I kind of thought that this was like the end of my career as far as flying goes. So I went on the uh, Internet and I started to, to search life with this issue to see exactly, you know, what to expect. And the outcome was actually pretty positive. I felt good. And then from there, I started to research, Okay, does the FAA allow pilots to fly with this and come to find out that for the most part, they said yes. There are a few waivers that are required. However, it is doable. So long story short, I finally saw the uh, specialist and he said, no, you don't have any of that. The issue you have is extremely small. You're good. (laughs) However, because I did the research, there was still some positivity. I I thought the outcome was actually pretty good. So I guess fully answer the question is, Try and find everything you can about that specific obstacle, that mm-hmm. adversity that, that you're going through and read successful outcomes and try and take that, tailor it to you, apply it to you and go from there.
1: It's interesting. We we forget so much that there, when we're going through adversity, or we're going through obstacles or faced with an obstacle that there are people out there that are going through that same obstacle or experiencing the same thing. So research is, is very big. It's a very big key player in that. Now you said your military career began what 19 years ago. Yep. What made you pursue wanting to be a pilot?
0: When I joined the army in 2002, I was a fueler. Right. So and all that means is that I worked at like a, a tactical fuel station. So it's either I refueled a tank or I did bolt fuel, in which I drove from point A to point B with X amount of gallons of fuel. And then eventually I finally got to an aviation battalion in which I was refueling aircraft. Now, step back. When when I was initially wanting to join the Army, I remember I saw a commercial. This is 2001, 2002. I saw a commercial. It was one of those be all you can be commercials. And, And there was a female Apache pilot and she flew by. At the time, as far as we knew about the uh, aviation aspect, it was just jets, right? So you, you didn't see the actual choppers and, and, and so on and so forth. So I thought that was cool. I thought it was unique. So when I finally got into the Army, I kind of thought that that idea was kind of far off. So I didn't pursue it much. But when I finally got to the aviation unit and I started to meet the pilots and I started to to talk to them and kind of saw that they were down-to-earth guys. You know, they weren't this this larger-than-life uh, character. I approached one guy. He was a senior pilot, and I approached him, and I was like, hey, sir, my name is Sergeant Malcolm, and, uh, you know, I want to fly. And he took me under his wings, <laughs> and he did a great job, and he walked me through as much as he possibly can. So it was always a desire that was there. However, I, I really always thought that it was kind of far off until I The Army stationed me somewhere that gave me the exposure. And then the rest is history. And then now I'm here.
1: (laughs) Wow. Now, how long is that training or how many hours go into becoming a military pilot? So it's going to
0: vary depending on the uh, aircraft, specifically the Army, right? So we have three helicopters right now. We have the Black Hawk, we have the Chinook, and we have the Apache. The Apache, obviously, it's an attack aircraft. So, you know, there's a lot more avionics and systems on it that lengthens the uh, course. So when I went through, it was roughly about a two-year process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so flight school itself was roughly a little bit over a year, but there was a few other courses around it that aviators have to go through. So the entire process from start to scratch was about two years.
1: Now, is there a difficulty with, say, flying helicopters as opposed to other aircrafts?
0: I can tell you flying a helicopter is the most complex Minus, you know, a spaceship, <laughs> fly, <laughs> flying a helicopter is the most complex one because you, you have a aircraft that does not want to fly. So there, there's so many outside factors and components that, that are pushing that aircraft to the ground. So there's much more involved with flying a helicopter than it is flying a fixed wing airplane.
1: That's so interesting, because you would think it would be the opposite. People would think, you know, they look up in the air and they say, oh, I must be so much harder to fly aircraft as opposed to flying a helicopter. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. With your training as a pilot, do you have any routines that you strictly follow?
0: So you mean as far as on the fitness side or as flying?
1: Yeah, on the fitness side.
0: Okay, so in the army, we have the standard physical training that we we do, right? So the the whole you know stuff that you see on TV. We wake up at five o'clock or so, then we show up for PT and we do army PT. That's a thing, but for the most part, me personally, I do my own physical training outside of mm-hmm. the uh, army, and the real reason for that is generally. As a pilot, especially if you're flying in places like Iraq and so on and so forth, it should require an extra amount of stamina, right? Because you know, mm. God forbid, the absolute worst case thing occurs, and you have to say land outside, and you're by your you're yourself. You now may have to evade. A uh, case in point here is the movie Black Hawk down, right? So you, you had the um, sure, yeah. So you you had the uh, aircraft that got shot down, and some. Aces, you, you see the pilots do survive and they have to evade. They may have to run. So, an extra amount of conditioning is required. And I actually spend a lot of time emphasizing that to ensure that, you know, the absolute worst case, I'm not going to put myself in a bad predicament because I'm out of shape. So, yeah.
1: Now, you would think in the Army that you guys aren't sleeping a lot, or are you sleeping? How important is sleep and performance with you as being a pilot?
0: I will probably put sleeping as one of the most important thing. Now, with that being said, okay, and um, this is (laughs) this is kind of an issue that (laughs) us as uh, pilots have when dealing with say uh, ground force, right? So you know, even when we do our training exercises, even when we do real combat missions, you'll have the ground force that we say, okay, we're we're going to go on this objective. and we're going to stay there for fifteen uh, hours, and they go Apaches. You know, can you guys uh, do that? Like, absolutely not. And <laughs> and and the whole idea is, it, you know, it's like, hey, so we have to have X amount of rest. We have to have X amount of sleep because you know you're you're in a three dimensional world now when you're flying, right? So mm-hmm. you have that component coupled with fatigue, which is going to lead to. A catastrophic event. So sleeping is a big, big deal. I personally try to get roughly about eight hours of sleep, if not more, oh, you um, do. especially okay. on nights or days that I do have to fly.
1: Would you say that a lot of pilots find that it's the most challenging part of their training trying to get enough sleep or is it something else?
0: No. So, and this is, I wouldn't say it's a sad thing to admit, but, you know, we typically don't fly as much stateside as we do, say, combat, right? So in, in our combat, we'll fly pretty much every single day, if not every single night. After you've been doing it night in, night out, you tend to kind of go on an autopilot mode in which wow. you can actually fly the aircraft pretty fatigued. It's not safe, and I, I don't, you know, I'm not an advocate for it at all. But you tend to perform somewhat normal just based on you're doing it days in and nights out. So pilots typically won't find that challenging now. When we start to talk about the newer pilot, the guy that's fresh out of flight school, you'll find that when those guys aren't getting enough sleep, you can tell. Yeah. And it's pretty apparent, like, hey man, you're you're way off. But for <laughs> the older guys, no, oh, that you know, they usually are fine.
1: Now, with all the stressors, how do you maintain a positive mental health and positive focus?
0: At least for me, specifically, the the most stressful times for me will always be when I'm I'm away. Okay, so and and like like I said, I've I've spent quite a bit bit of time overseas. I've spent, I think, slightly over six years in my 19 career at war. And with that being said, the one thing I've kept in the back of my mind that regardless of what I'm going through, it's not permanent. right? that's one thing that us, we have certain people don't, but we have have that to know that at the end of this nine month deployment or 10 month or one year, we will go back home. We will go back home to a family. So you have that. Number two is I always each time that I'm, I'm away and, and going through these stressors, I always give myself a goal and say for this nine or 10 month deployment, I'm going to try to accomplish one thing. Like uh, case in point here, I did a 15 month tour in Iraq in 2007 and I said to myself, okay, I need to find something that I can use to be productive and what, what I did was I completed a personal training certification. I completed a new oh, wow. business certification you know so those things I've, yeah. I've always found something to turn a negative situation into something positive.
1: You know, I've done a lot of research and a lot of my buddies, you know, God bless them and everything that they've done bounce overseas. And they were they said that you guys are like the guardian angels. Mm. And how do you stay calm while coordinating with ground forces when you're overhead? (laughs) All right. It's very interesting. (laughs) So that
0: one is a is a good one. So my first deployment as an aviator was drastically different than my last one's. And so I was fresh out of, I will not say fresh out of flight school. I was about a year out of flight school. And then therefore I, I got deployed. And in the uh, aircraft, you know, it's a two pilot aircraft and, you know, we, we fly in pairs. And generally the guy in the front seat is the more junior pilot. And he's the guy not flying. He's the guy that's talking to the ground force. And he's the guy who's kind of, you know, managing the, the fight. So I remember the first few times, you know, I'll check in, I'll see a ground force. And I'll check in like, hey, guys, we're over- overhead and they'll respond. And, you know, you or me as, as the Apache pilot, I remember, and this is a normal thing, we're usually very nervous because we don't want want to screw up and we don't want to sound like we don't know what, what's uh, going on. So we'll <laughs> check in. And then it always sounded terrible <laughs> initially. And then as the years or the flight hours came and, you know, you got better. Right. And yeah. one thing I learned from one pilot and he said, hey, when you talk to this ground force, remember, you are the Apache pilot. Right. He's depending on you. You have to sound like you are in charge. Right. And once <laughs> I heard that, it clicked, you know. So now on, on the flip side. There has been, you know, scenarios in which you're flying along and you get a call that things are going bad, and so of course, once you hear that, your heart rate, your heart, you know, rate starts to increase, <laughs> and, and at times it, it's kind of tough to hide that. Hey, I'm, I'm a bit concerned too, you, you know. But <laughs> you know, nine times out of, out of ten, it always goes well, though. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's why they call you guys the guardian angels in the sky. So, uh, you know, cahoots you. <laughs> now, with all the places you traveled, mm-hmm. is there one deployment or one event that sticks out in your mind over anything else?
0: I will probably say my Afghanistan tours more than the Iraq tours or anything like that. It's because, you know, we, we've been at war there for, you know, two decades and it's, you know, complete now. But The Afghanistan tours, they were a lot more violent, you know, so you you will remember those many, many years after it's done, you know, so. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how the truly elite like yourself are so humble. Where does that humility come from?
0: Well, um, where does it come from? Well, I'll, you know, say it's for one, I'm grateful to have this job. Because, you know, like I I came from a third world Mm -hmm. country, right? So to turn around and be as successful as I am today and to have the Army say, hey, we are entrusting you with the keys to this aircraft as well as your team of Apaches to go out, you know, with an American flag on my um, shoulder, go out, represent our country as well as protect the guys on, on the ground. So for me, that's just a huge honor that I'm able to do it and that I'm entrusted Mm. to do it. So that by itself is pretty much what keeps me uh, humble.
1: That is great. That is great. Now, if you think of the movie Top Gun, you know, you think of Maverick and you think of the call names, do the helicopter pilots, do you guys have call names? And what is the process you guys go through? You're laughing already. (laughs) What is the process you guys go through to get your call name?
0: Okay. All right. So I'm about to throw the army under the bus right now. So the (laughs) army does not do that. Okay, that is an air force and navy thing. The army we're just not as cool as the air force and the navy. However, so in 2014, okay, the army went through to this transformation in which they, as far as uh, aviation is concerned, and they said, okay, we're going to create the air cavalry. All right, so my unit was actually the first air cavalry unit in the uh, army. And we decided that we were going to start a trend. And the pilots said we were going to create individual call signs for all the uh, aviators. And we modeled it the way that the Navy did theirs. And we said, okay, all the uh, pilots were going to go to a a party and then we're we're all going to drink. And then each person is going to step out the room. And then the rest of the guys in the room were going to create a call sign or a list of call signs, three or so, for that person. The only rules were it can't be <laughs> derogatory, but it also had to describe that person. Now, with that being said, <laughs> I got mine, right? And mine was actually Flex. So, hence why I go by Flex Malcolm. It, it was actually my call sign. Oh, okay. Um, so, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, that, yeah, that's that.
1: <laughs> that is great. That is great. So, Flex, that is great. <laughs> now, you're also an author. What is the title of your book and uh, what is it about?
0: Okay, so that's an interesting one. So I technically don't have a book. What I've written, I've written for several fitness magazines. Okay. So Muscle and Fitness, I've done a couple of articles for them. And for Train Magazine, which is a UK-based magazine, Mm -hmm. I had a column with them for almost two years, I I believe, in which I wrote articles each month. So I haven't done anything like that in maybe about two or three years, but that's where that title came from.
1: You should definitely think about writing a book because you have some great stories. I mean, you're hit me with some great ones today, especially the, especially the call name is a good one. <laughs>
0: Maybe after the uh, army.
1: <laughs> I'm very big, and I always ask this all my guests. I'm very big into morning rituals. I'm part of that 5 a.m. club. I wake up, I do an incantation. I say, by December 31st, IJ Cardi will accomplish this by doing this. I journal, I take a cold shower, I exercise, and I meditate Do you subscribe to any morning rituals to get yourself mentally ready for each day?
0: The quick answer is no, not stateside. The only thing similar to that I've had was, and I keep going back to my 2019 tour, because like I said, I I was definitely tested there. So I got up every day, roughly about four hours prior to my shift. And it was about a 12 Mm. uh, hour shift. And I went to the gym. And I went to the gym on an empty stomach because that's, that's kind of the only, only time I could have went because I couldn't have went on shift. And that was something that I did. I, I got up early. I went to the gym and depending on the shift that I was on, if I was on a daytime shift and my shift started at say 7 a.m., that means I was up at 3 a.m. and I went to the gym and I'll hit the gym for about an hour and then come back because that was always the thing that, you know, going back to me being stressed or you know, stress that was the thing that allowed me to kind of get that extra jolt of mental energy to complete the day. So that that's the only thing that really comes to mind right now.
1: Andrew, with all that you've accomplished, how would you define what it is you're seeking?
0: Well, um, I could say I'm pretty happy where I'm at in life right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as Hated before, I'm at year 19 in the army. I will end up doing about 21 years. I'll do one past 20. And if I had to say that I've, uh, I guess, completed my purpose, I-, I felt like I have. And I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. So, yeah.
1: And where can people find out more about you?
0: Instagram. So, my instagram call 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 sign my instagram page <laughs> screen name is flex malcolm so that's where i, I post my daily you know life and I, I post my fitness content on there i post my aviation content on there so that page actually defines who i am
1: oh that is great well listen it's uh it's an honor to have you on the show and thank you again for your time and service through our country
0: okay thank you so much for the opportunity
1: I want to thank Andrew for coming on the show today and giving us advice for overcoming obstacles and achieving new kinds of strength. Remember to follow, leave a review, and listen up for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jay Cardiella, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales of Redefine strength presented by MuscleTech.